Welcome to the Et Alia podcast, hosted by Peter Kranitz and Brad Davis. Each episode focuses on a concept that represents a fundamental issue in contemporary life, examining the works of culture and philosophy that help us understand its impact and explain our present situation. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the movie Cape Fear. So it's so spontaneous, I don't even have the Wikipedia page pulled up. Uh, what year did Cape Fear come out in? 1991. Uh, directed by Martin Scorsese, starring none other than uh, Robert De Niro, uh, Nick Nolte, Jessica Lange, uh, Juliette Lewis. Uh, it is about a... And Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck. I didn't even realize that. I didn't recognize him. Yeah. Oh, Gregory Peck. <laughs> In his final final role. So, and it's interesting. I, I obviously didn't do too much research on, on this film. I didn't even realize it was a Scorsese oh, yeah. movie. It doesn't feel like one. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like the rest of his overall to me. Yeah, there's definitely something a bit... Uh, a bit more sinister, a bit more, a bit less sprawling than a lot of his other works, um, and a little bit less kind of trying to create a larger narrative. I feel like a lot of his stuff, like whether it's uh, you know Taxi Driver, or Gangs of New York, or uh, The Irishman, or something, is trying to create a portrait of a time and a place, and evoking something very specific whereas i feel like cape fear is less so doing that in a bit more of a almost just more traditional hollywood type movie than those i want to ask what what do you think the focus of this movie is so so the plot generally is uh de niro as a recently released ex-con who is Messing. I think giving calling him an ex-con is a bit too generous. <laughs> yeah, who is messing with uh, the his defense lawyer prior to who who represented him in, in trial prior to him going to jail, and, and I the perspective in this movie is weird. It seemingly the focus, the protagonist is. The defense attorney. He he's who's followed the most. Yeah, that's the character is named Sam. But it also feels very sympathetic towards De Niro as the ex-con put in jail for for raping a minor. But the film is also narrated from is narrated by the the lawyer's sixteen year old daughter. So there's a lot of different perspectives going in, and it's not too coherent in any specific one. Yeah, I think that part of what makes it so interesting is that it you can almost think of De Niro's character, Max Cady, the the rapist murderer, as almost a Travis Bickle type. You know, it's kind of an anti-hero. You you don't like him. You know you're not supposed to like him. He's the bad guy, but he is so charismatic. Uh, the 
drawl that De Niro uses for the character. Uh, he's handsome, uh, jacked as shit. Dude's ripped. Um, he's got really uh, strange and intriguing tattoos, and he just seems smarter than everybody else. He is five steps ahead of everybody. You can't outsmart him. He's He is kind of the ultimate villain. Uh, and, you know, as he's doing all these horrible things, whether he's stalking uh, the, the lawyer, Sam Bowden, played by Nick Nolte, his family, and getting himself close to, to the daughter, played by Julia Lewis, uh, it, you're horrified and disgusted, but you really can't look away. And you want to know what's going to happen. You don't want him to get away with anything, but you really want to, you know he can, and you know he's going to. And it puts you in a sort of uncomfortable position where you're implicated in that in a way. And you have a perverse sympathy for him. Hey, this is a bit of a spoiler, and I'm sorry, they've already abounded. You know, it's 30 years old. (laughs) (laughs) It is 30 years old. They were recently put up on Netflix. Um, That his defense attorney at trial buries a report that questions, casts uh, aspersions on the character of the victim. Uh, And De Niro is furious when he discovers in prison that his sentence might have been shorter or things could have turned out different if his lawyer hadn't buried the report. And now, uh, hopefully our legal system has advanced a bit since then. It really shouldn't matter the character uh, of a a victim when it comes to the atrocious crimes uh, De Niro's character perpetrated. But the reason why the lawyer buried it was because he thought that De Niro was such a disgusting, despicable monster that he should serve every minute of time possible. And so it you're sympathetic in a sense that De Niro didn't get the fair shake he was supposed to from the legal system, while also recognizing that, man, he should have had it so much worse than he actually got. Yeah, I, I almost don't think we're really supposed to be all that sympathetic to the uh, to him not having a sufficient sentence, or to, to him being put away for too long by, by Nick Nolte's uh, sort of corruption. But I think that's more supposed to make us question how good of a guy this Sam Bowden is who, who Katie's targeting, right? I, I think it's, you know, we can't, we can't agree that, like you were saying, no matter what, this guy should have gone to jail, even if his victim was of loose morals, as they may say. But the point is that Sam Bowden was uh, a questionable enough figure to, in the name of what he saw as justice, not do his duty as a lawyer. It's, it's, I think it's more meant to take away sympathy from Sam than to give sympathy to Katie. I, that, that might be a better framing of it, yeah. I mean, every other attorney Sam talks to is shocked that he buried the report. His former employers at the public defender's office couldn't believe he did it. Uh, and it 
it keeps being brought up that one of the opening scenes uh, shows Sam with playing racquetball with a woman who isn't his wife with the insinuation that they're having an affair. And there, there's other actions that show that Sam is a man of, as you said, loose morals himself, which, which causes some... Right, well, his marriage uh, with with Lee, played by Jessica Lange, is falling apart. That's part of it. That's, that's part of what makes Danielle, we're supposed to think, makes her so susceptible to Katie's advances, is that her, her home life is kind of a, a shit show because of how, how much of a philanderer her father has been. And sorry to to uh, clarify because I I got confused there. Katie both um both both the wife is uh disturbed by her husband and the daughter is disturbed by her father and, and loses hope in him. And Katie actually makes advances towards towards both of them, flirting with the mother on, on a couple occasions and um being quite creepy uh with a daughter including uh following her at school and but the the daughter doesn't doesn't she kind of she reciprocates the the advances which is a very disturbing moment in the film when when you know i mean her father's already warned her that this guy chasing their family following their family has been convicted for raping and murdering a minor and yet the does the does do- she know that it, that that was the charge she does she does the, the lawyers the sam says it to his wife in front of the daughter and the daughter is like oh what um and it's it do- isn't clear that she really grasps that that's the same as a man um but i i i don't think it's she has some knowledge to it, and she certainly knows he's not a good guy. He's he's a creepy guy, but but she's allured by him and, and his 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 faux intelligence, his charm. Oh, I don't think it's faux intelligence. I think it's real intelligence and real charm. I think that's what makes him so scary and so so frightening for us to watch. Is that he really is smarter than everybody else? He really is more charming than everybody else. Like he really is is these things. He doesn't just seem like it. You know, you can't you can't fake that. And despite being the villain, he also has a more stringent, though very very perverse, moral code than than the lawyers and and reported good guys, particularly law enforcement officers in the film have. And the man, the opening shot is is impressive in this movie, and it is. Of De Niro exercising in his prison cell before being released. Uh, I don't know if he's doing chin-ups, pull-ups, or... He exercises, he's doing dips, yeah, right? Yeah, he's doing, doing dips. dips. <laughs> in, in his cell. And you see these giant muscled shoulders and his back where he has a giant cross. I believe Jesus is depicted. And then there's scales hanging off the cross. One with truth one with justice. And so you have Katie with villainously going back and forth, representing sort of this moral code of, of truth and justice. Man, 
it, it he is a frightening guy yeah uh and another important note is he was illiterate before he went to jail for these 14 years that's how he didn't realize that the evidence was being suppressed he went to jail and learned to read and studied law so he was able to understand the details of his case which is what sets him on his path to vengeance uh he taught himself to read he taught himself law and apparently tattooed his own back <laughs> that that part's a little bit unclear to me but <laughs> and and i think more than anything he, he devoted himself to reading the bible and so he has various bible verses tattooed on his body he regularly brings them up in conversation. Even when committing heinous acts, he tries to justify it through through quotations from the Bible. He gives warning of what he's going to do to Sam's family by reference to the book of Job and other biblical riddles. And man, the, the guy very clearly thinks he's being just he he even makes reference i think that his justice is beyond the world's and sam is just stuck on on, on worldly justice which in the context of being a murder rapist is um that that leads to some cognitive dissonance well i think that it's important that we talk about the other thing that he read while he was in prison which was nietzsche and we see a picture of Nietzsche on his, the wall of his prison cell, and we see him reading the book Zarathustra at one point. It was Zarathustra that he was reading, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's reading Zarathustra at one point after he's already out of prison. Uh, so he wasn't just reading the Bible. He was also diving deep into Nietzsche. And he says near the end of the movie that, while he was in prison for 14 years, surrounded by those who were less than men, he made himself into more than a man. Um, which I think that's... This is essential to the movie. This is really gets at the heart of, of Max Cady's ideas and what makes him so interesting and terrifying is this, this Nietzschean part to him. Yeah, um, and it is weird, the sort of dialectic between um, very fundamentalist uh, Christianity Katie seems to be interested in and Nietzschean thought um, which there there are serious scholars of Nietzsche who, <laughs> who are Christians and particularly devoted Catholics and there are interesting there is interesting overlap Nietzsche himself as a very young man prior to beginning his career was very very pious and devout I believe the son uh, of a uh, Lutheran minister. But the film doesn't have quite that level of nuance in dealing with the, the two. Well, I would say that it kind of does. I think that he is a true devotee of Nietzsche and a false devotee of the Bible. I think that he reads the Bible probably because that's, you know, they're in the Deep South. That's that's the book that he has to know to be able to get by. I think the the Bible sort of serves as as the mask hiding was underneath. I don't think he has any actual true belief in God necessarily. Do hmm. you? I don't know. I I had assumed he did. 
maybe not. And I, I do think it's interesting that. Well, I guess I guess this, the the question is, can the devil believe in God, or does the yeah. devil believe in God? Well, right. The, the, the devil has to. Yes, the devil's very familiar with God. Um, but he, the other characters in the film, while being more of the, you know, straight laced christian good old boy type seem uh, to have even less of faith or 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 anything of the sort that than katie does um which is interesting if if you you think the, the chain elements are really developed in this that that is sort of i mean it, it's a it i guess a parody of how society has remained and its morals and values and conversation. <laughs> Going back to our last episode, discussing the 1975, I mean, Christian in form, Christian in genre, but not Christian in substance and in its um, commitment to, to justice or truth. Whereas Katie considers himself committed to justice and truth, the substance, while having somewhat rejected the form or or not believing in the form despite using it i i don't know I, i'm sorry please please go on yeah i don't think he's particularly concerned with what we would exactly consider morality you know right. i don't think no. he's really thinking in terms of right and or good and bad rather um but he does think thinking... in terms of truth and justice truth and yes. justice matter to him not good and yes. bad. that's correct uh, so he doesn't have any real morality. He's he's above that. I, I think that we're supposed to see him as sort of uh, an ubermensch in a way. Uh, I don't. I, I highly doubt that he actually adheres to the Zarathustra archetype very well. But I think we're supposed to see him as maybe even a poor reading of that. You know, uh, how would a rapist murderer think of of encountering the idea of Nietzsche of being more than human of being uh above other men of of not having those rules apply to you in the same way because the rules themselves are corrupt you know so he uses that as justification for his his revenge and even though he was only able to uh become this ubermensch in prison he sees it as have him having always been supposed to be that and always having been above the law and above good and bad and right and wrong you know um yeah i i don't think the prison element of it is sort of exceptional nietzsche throughout's very clear that it, it is great difficulty and strife and sort of the condi prison-like conditions feeling imprisoned within your society certainly that sort of help forge this sense but my broader skepticism is i do really like nietzsche i love reading nietzsche i hate 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 popular depictions of him the way his works uh engaged broadly maybe i get him all wrong but I I struggle with the image of Nietzsche that that people normally have and try to promote. I So how do you see this this Max Cady 
specifically saying he became more than human and reading Nietzsche. How do you kind of see that fitting into that? Because I, I had, a, had a discussion with someone somewhat recently as a little derisive and dismissive uh, where they were talking about how, how they felt like they had become Nietzsche and the, the uh, deepness of their turmoil and depression. And I think that sense which is really common now, I think, among like the weird alt-right figures. To me, that just seems like a bastardization. I, perhaps Nietzsche really did believe that Ubermenschen were, were a possibility, but to me, okay, that so, so misses the point. I, th- I think you're right, but could I reframe the question? Yeah. So yeah. I think we're supposed to see this movie at, or this character of Max Cady as having been someone who has gone to prison and has read Nietzsche and had that interpretation of it. So how do you think that kind of impacts how we should be seeing the movie and the Max Cady character? You know, whether, whether or not that's a good reading of Nietzsche and it being a bad reading of Nietzsche is almost more interesting. But how do you think that you know a lot more about Nietzsche and, and good and bad readings of Nietzsche than I do? But I think that we are truly supposed to believe that he read a bunch of Nietzsche and he he believes that he is the Ubermensch. And we see him being superhuman in, in a literal sense throughout the yeah. movie. I I mean I, I just don't know what would have been going through Scorsese's mind <laughs> in this. I I mean I, I, I don't and, and I think that's a it, actually really important in this conversation i don't think authorial intent always matters too much but i i don't know i i i want to say that nihilism and overturning of morality is, is um a bad thing and that's what's obvious from this movie but i'm not sure that that's the case or what he's going at it, it's clear that the morality of the people around katie is also deficient um though not quite as uh demonic as katie's i and i i don't know i'm sorry i don't have a good answer for that yeah i don't think there is like a, a pat answer to it and i think that's what makes it so interesting you know uh i think that I think the idea of the, the Ubermensch is, is being used in a way as shorthand here. I don't think that we're necessarily supposed to take it as a literal reading of Nietzsche. Uh, but we see, we do see Katie being a, a superhuman in a very literal sense. We see him survive things that should kill people. We see him move around in ways that a human normally wouldn't be able to we see him get out of traps that no one should be able to get out of we see him uh behave like a like a superhuman as someone as normal people can't and we see him think in that way too the way that he he approached the world the way that he you know he taught himself to read he taught himself law um read the bible he read nietzsche he read who knows what else in the first scene we see guard following him out of the prison with a huge cartload of books ask him what he wants like what do you want us to do with your books and he says throw them away i've already read them or something like that uh we're supposed to think he's smarter than everybody else stronger than everybody else and 
I just I don't really know how necessarily to reconcile that with 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 a reading of Nietzsche, whether it's a good one or a bad one, or or what it's supposed to be. But I do think it, it's pretty central to kind of an interpretation here. So maybe. Maybe I'm a a terrible, terrible reader. What I have gotten out of Thus Spoke Zarathustra in reading it a, multiple times is, <laughs> yeah, and this might be a projection, it's very akin to what I wrote um, in a piece about Plato and his philosophy. I see in Zarathustra more so than the other works actually skepticism skepticism over how how much impact one can have on the world how much impact one can have on themselves and and struggling to try and make sense of that i see a an explicit need for community and particularly for friendship companions who can help you grow and learn and, and make sense of the world especially when it's uncomfortable and I see Zarathustra and Nietzsche and Zarathustra as the constructed persona for Nietzsche as struggling with those issues and trying to understand how to make sense of a world that doesn't really want him or doesn't really under see things in the same way he does and trying to come to grips with their hypocrisies. But Nietzsche or Zarathustra is not a violent character. Zarathustra is an inquisitive character, one who self-isolates, one who's curious, one who sees a lot of beauty in the world. And that is not the reading of people like like Katie in this movie and like the gross people on the internet who, who, who try and... Um, interact with Nietzsche and certainly wasn't the, the reading of, of Hitler and the Nazis. So maybe I, I'm just confused. But Where do you think I, they pull that bastardized reading from? Do you think that like a lot of the contemporary interpretation still has the 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 specter of Nazism and Nietzsche's sister hanging over it? I, I don't think that's the case in, in, in academia. I, I really don't. I think most people acknowledge that... Um, that was a bastardization and that there might be some fecund remarks for violence or, or reactionary uh, stuff in Nietzsche's work, but that that isn't the essence of it. I, I, and why, why do you I, think it still keeps coming up, though? Like, that's like in, in the popular consciousness. Nietzsche is a very, very careful writer, and I think you need to be an even more careful reader. When he makes bombastic remarks, I think that's supposed to inspire a dialectic and reflection on it and not supposed to always be taken at, at face value. And, and people who take his remarks, say, about Jews, both at face value and with a, a prejudice uh, going into the reading— are going to get something totally different out than, than people interested in, in the philosophical character of the arguments he, he, he's trying to make, which aren't prejudicial or biased or 
any anything of the sort i i don't believe i and i i think nietzsche tries throughout his corpus to interact with fundamental questions about philosophy and life and beauty and art and he describes intellectual life as a violent battle and in some ways it is and particularly with oneself and one's own doubts and i think people see that as battle with the world around you um and that that that's mistaken, I believe. So what you're saying is this whole thing could have been avoided if Max Cady had just come to talk to you before he went on this mission of revenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wanted the revenge, and, and Nietzsche provided the justification, I guess, a, a sense of... <laughs> I mean, I, I think this is the case with a lot of critical theorists. Um, Pete people mistake criticism of one thing for condoning or recommending its opposite which isn't isn't the same um i yeah i i don't know <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah i don't know i i think that that's part of what makes this such an interesting movie though is that it almost feels like there's a piece missing as to how we're supposed to be able to think about it. You know, it feels like there we're, we're missing something really essential. Yeah. Like some kind of key to unlock it. Uh, almost more than it just being so, so nuanced and morally ambiguous. It just feels like we're, we're missing a piece of this puzzle, you know? So the ending line, the ending shot can I give away the ending of the film in general? Um, Do it. It's, old, it's 30 years old. old. 30 years old movie. Uh, Katie keeps chasing I mean, if, after if them. if anybody's still listening at this point in the podcast, they've, they've, <laughs> they've buried their own, yeah. dug their own grave uh, in many ways. Katie keeps chasing after him, and finally in a wild, um, vicious battle that takes place at sea, he is killed, and the, the, the family is able to survive. The young daughter continues in her narration of the film and the family is shown on on the seashore cuddling huddled up together shivering uh injured trying to recuperate from this crazy violent ordeal they just went through and the narration mentions that the girl says i i've never really understood what to make of what happened that summer what to make of katie I'm not sure I ever will, but I know that as a family, we are never, we haven't mentioned it since, and we're never going to mention it again. And that that's weird. A, a refusal to try and come to terms with what has occurred, particularly because there's mess back home, uh, including dead bodies in their home that they have to deal with the police and clean <laughs> up. But, but, but yeah, such, that's a tough one. Such a traumatic event. Um, not, they're not sure how to come to terms with it. They're not sure what motivated it, what their culpability is. And, and I guess they'd rather bury their hand, heads in the sand than, 
then deal with it. And, and in that sense, we're getting back perhaps the Nietzschean critique uh, of what society has done when it no longer believes in its moral code, but refuses to get rid of it or change it or do anything about it and just sort of lives in silence, letting things happen, but not, not really trying to make the world better. Not, not, not seeking any change. Yeah. I think that's, that's the huge thing. I think that they've gone through all of this horrible, horrible stuff and learned so many horrible things about each other and about themselves through it. And they just choose to ignore it. They don't do anything about it. You know, uh, they, uh, my guess is that was Sam disbarred at one point in the movie. Um, he was going to have a hearing and he didn't show right. up to the hearing. <laughs> we don't know if he is actually disbarred or not, but gotcha. So, you know, he, he has to address his own moral failings as, as a career thing. But beyond that, probably not much. You know, he probably doesn't really have to address his uh, cheating on his wife. Uh, the They all probably would prefer not to address uh, the daughter's sexuality. You know, uh, it just is a refusal to look at it, you know, I... which was also... Which was sort of the thing with Katie to begin with, right? He's so terrible, so you get him out of sight, you throw him in prison, and you don't expect him to come back at you. It's the classic, uh, it's Freudian, The Return of the Repressed, right? It's the the base of all good horror movies, but it's, that's exactly it. They repress it, so it'll come back and bite them again eventually. I, I think you're like 99% there. I think that's all right and very accurate. There's There's a line I forgot that maybe you can help me unpack when... The family escapes their hometown to try and escape Katie with dead bodies in their home, murdered by Katie. Um, And prior to the final violent scene where uh, Katie almost murders the family, but then he gets killed at the last second. Sam is on the phone to the local police chief telling him, hey, there is an incident at my house. Your officer is lying dead on the floor. I know in normal circumstances I should have called and reported and I should probably be there right now to give a statement, but you don't understand that sometimes there's a force majeure, a, a greater power, such as an act of God or something, when you just can't do what you're supposed to do or, or you can't follow the law uh, as you're normally required. And that's an interesting statement. And that's very much a legalistic term. It's it's big in like contract law. Force majeure is the kind of thing that would void a contract if there's a hurricane or or what have you. But um, Katie is is the act of God of a greater power. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's the ultimate, the ultimate force majeure. <laughs> but, but that is Sam recognizing, in a sense, in a... You know, it's clear he doesn't quite make the theological connection, but that's him recognizing that there's a higher power at play. Katie seems to recognize that, though whether he considers hmm. what Katie considers the higher powers uh, uncertain. I think Katie considers himself the higher power. 
Yeah. And I think that's the acknowledgement that Sam's making there. I think he's also acknowledging Katie as the higher power, too. No. Katie is the force majeure. No, he isn't. And I think that... He, he's the act thereof. Like a, like a, a, a hurricane. He's a hurricane sent after them. But Sam isn't saying that Katie is responsible. He's a culprit, but he isn't where responsibility lies. I don't. I don't think. Well, so well, so if we're thinking about it as a contract, right? I think the contract that's being voided here is a social contract, right? Mm-hmm. The the one that would put uh, Sam in his home with the dead officer or whatever to explain to the police what was happening, or that would keep you know uh, maniacs from stalking and murdering families or having to be murdered themselves because of it, right? It, it's uh, a complete breakdown of of a social contract back into a a state of nature almost the just a, a war between this man and this family uh i don't know i i still don't believe that katie truly believes in any kind of god or really sees that there is anything higher than he is i think that he you know, there was there was a quote um he quoted a uh a catholic theologian um so uh angela silesius saying i am like god and god like me i am as large as god he is as small as i he cannot above me nor i beneath him be he literally sees himself as on par with god i don't think he see he truly believes there's anything bigger or badder than him and i think that sam is coming to realize that too so it's funny that you picked that out because in, in context that Coming from the theologian, that would have a very different meaning than what <laughs> oh, Kagan views yeah. it with. So I, I poor, poor uh, pun, but I think the jury's still out as to what to what Sam believes. Maybe, you know, maybe this movie is much better at representing Nietzsche and sort of the yeah society trying to carry on um, in a world that where the core values, core principles have been hollowed out and, and pretending like nothing happened to that. Uh, I, there is another line where when Katie first comes out, uh, I think police officer or something uh, tells, tells Sam, oh, you know, he was reading a lot of Nietzsche in there. You know, Nietzsche's the guy and Sam's like, who said God's dead? I know, I know. And they, they just move on from it. And it felt jarring at the moment. A little heavy-handed, but I think there is the film is evidently trying to reconcile with that, which is which is weird for the kind of horror movie it is. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I think that in a way, like there, are, it is freighted with all of these these heavy ideas. But I think that when it comes down to it, you know, this is a, a remake of a film adaptation of a novel um, that. Just a big budget popcorn movie, you know, and I think that Katie just seems to be picking out lines of books he likes that seem to fit his purpose, you know, quoting the, the theologian out of context, taking the parts of Nietzsche that make it justifiable for him to be going and stalking and murdering families and the parts of the Bible that justify that as well or that don't really seem too concerned about, uh, you know, child molestation. Uh, and I think that at the same time, that's 
you know, Scorsese and also the screenwriter doing the exact same thing, just kind of picking these parts out that will have the maximum effect. So, I mean, I, you know. I would be interested in seeing what what's changed from the movie it was based upon and from the book and whether... I, I don't know if Nietzsche's present in the others and how that's all handled with. I'm not interested enough to actually go watch the original movie <laughs> or read the book. Um, but yeah. Maybe maybe we could come back to this topic another time if we do end up finding ourselves so inclined. <laughs> Who knows? Might be might be a force majeure at play. <laughs> all right. Any final thoughts? No. No, I, I think I want to leave it at that. So thank you very much for listening yet yet again. Hopefully you enjoy at Olia. Leave us a review, comment, any questions, follow us on Twitter, whatever you want. Uh, if you have Robert De Niro's workout plan, please let me know. I would love to look like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he, he's pretty, pretty ripped. Um, so cool. Thank you all. Bye.